everyone. Welcome to The Donut of Truth, a podcast about emergency medicine. I'm your host, Dakota Farrell. I'm a third-year emergency medicine resident and will be taking you on this journey. The purpose of this podcast is to shed some light on the life of an emergency medicine provider for our friends, family, and the curious mind. A few disclaimers before we begin. Content is not intended for medical advice or care. The views and opinions of those on this podcast are ours alone and are not the views and opinions of our employer or healthcare system. Any clinical cases or patient presentations discussed during this podcast are hypothetical or have had the patient's personal identification removed for HIPAA compliance. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, For this week's episode, I have a special guest, Dr. Ashton Paris, with me. Hello. (laughs) Um, And we are going to just kind of talk about life as residents. So uh, first off, Ashton, if you wouldn't mind just kind of introducing yourself, telling us about yourself. All right. So my name is Ashton. I am a third year EM resident in the metro Atlanta area. Um, I grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, and went to undergrad at Georgia Tech, majored in biology, And then I went to medical school at Mercer and went straight to residency. So I don't have a pre-residency career or anything like that. Basically, pre-medicine was just doing medicine. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, let's talk about, just for our general uh, listeners, a little bit about the pathway to becoming an ER doctor, just to kind of get everyone on board of how we got to where we are today and to kind of remind our friends and family the long pathway it took us to get here. Um, So you said you went to undergrad at where? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. So you majored in biology, right? Um, For anyone listening who's interested in going to medical school, you don't have to major in Mm -hmm. science. Um, A lot of people do, but some people major in other areas and then take courses to prepare them for medical school. Yeah, so actually I I had like misconceived notions about that and when I first started at Georgia Tech, I majored in biomedical engineering because hey, it has the word medicine in it. <laughs> so, I got about a year into that and realized that you definitely don't or sh- probably shouldn't be an engineer to go to <laughs> medical school. Um, so I changed my major major to biology. Um, and then kept on my way. (laughs) Okay. So you went to undergrad knowing you wanted to go into medicine? Yeah. um, I honestly can't remember the moment where I thought to myself, I want to be a doctor. It feels like more of a gradual kind of path that I've been on. But I always loved like science and biology and uh, grade school. And then at some point in Georgia Tech, I definitely got onto the pre-med track. I just can't remember when exactly that was. Okay. So when you're in undergrad, typically you have to do some shadowing, get letters of recommendation to even kind of get to the process of applying to medical school. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember shadowing and that experience at all? Yeah, actually, my shadowing experience was in pediatrics, which I thought was what I wanted to do initially, but (laughs) definitely not now. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I would shadow at this um, pediatrician's office near where I went to undergrad. And honestly, it was kind of boring, not to discourage anyone who loves peds, but (laughs) um, I didn't really shadow anywhere else, but there were opportunities through Georgia Tech where you could um, do like shadow shifts at Grady and whatnot. All right, cool. So then we all kind of take this big exam called the MCAT. Um, 
I remember when we took it, it was kind of scored in a different manner than it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like in addition to any of your undergraduate studies. Um, I took a course. I did yeah. the, the Kaplan course or whatever. I did Princeton Review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, not sponsored. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we did uh, study a lot to take this exam mm-hmm. and it kind of touched on topics that didn't really relate to medicine no. in my opinion um i forget the three subjects i don't even remember what what was on the mcat anymore i know like physical science was one of them and biological science and then maybe chemistry i feel like there's an english aspect to it it's been or so like long. a literature or something <laughs> but with those courses you definitely get out of them what you put into them so like i went to the classes but i probably didn't put enough time in studying on my own um But I mean, here I am, so it's okay. But just people should be aware of that aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. I took the Kaplan course, went to the classes, but almost never did the Mm pre-read or the questions or anything. (laughs) Such great students. Yeah. Well, we learned to be good students eventually. (laughs) All right. So then you applied to med school. Did you get in first round? Um, I, so I got in like the first round that I applied, but I was on the wait list for Mercer and got in probably in May. So for a little bit there, I was really nervous. Like when I graduated from undergrad, I still had not gone into medical school and I was scribing at the time in an ER in Atlanta and I moved back home with my parents, but I was still coming up to Atlanta to do shifts in the ER. But that was only for a couple of weeks before I got in off the wait list. So. For those of you who don't know, scribing is basically you follow a doctor around to the patient's rooms and you do their note for them. Um, they tell you what to put in the note and you type it out. It's a good experience for any you know, students interested in emergency medicine to kind of get exposure. Um, a lot of people do scribing um, or who have gone into emergency mm-hmm. medicine has a history of scribing. Um, okay, so then you got into medical school first round. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I did not, <laughs> but that's okay. I tried again. Um, and so then we basically start off with just classes in the, you know, lecture halls and we just yeah. study. That's like 90% of what we do is study. Yep. Um, my medical school, I don't know how many medical schools do it like this, but we had more of a small group based approach where we would do readings on our own and then get together in groups of like, I don't know, six to 10, um, and have like a preceptor and we would just discuss cases. So we didn't have a ton of like lecture hall kind of lectures. Oh, interesting. Um, (laughs) I think that it was... I don't know, more relaxed maybe, but I kind of prefer the lecture hall style of things. (laughs) Yeah, we had very traditional, like, large lecture hall with, you know, 150 students in there um, getting lectures by, you know, different clinicians. And we had mandatory attendance and we had to dress up. And so it was was a lot. Um, And... You know, I liked that, but I also learn at my own speed. And so majority of the time, what I would do is go to lecture and do something else during lecture <laughs> and then listen to the recordings later and take notes and study later. So um, I don't know. Everyone learns differently. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then med school kind of gets towards the end. Mm-hmm. You know, you're starting to try to figure out what you want to go into. Um, can you kind of explain your pathway of like, yeah. how you went into emergency medicine or how that went? So that was like a really complicated process for me. Um, 
So I initially thought pediatrics. I had um, a cousin during medical school who, or during undergrad actually, who had leukemia. And so I was interested in like peds hemonc for a while, but um, went into medical school thinking peds. I got to my third year rotations and surgery was my first rotation. And I liked procedural aspects of things way more than I thought I would, but I did not like being in the hospital all the time. (laughs) So after that point, I started thinking, okay, maybe I want some kind of procedural specialty. Um, And then I actually did peds and hated it. Um, (laughs) Peds isn't for everyone, just like adults aren't for everyone. But for me, that that just told me that that's not what I wanted to do. Um, And this whole time, just to preface, I was not thinking about emergency medicine because when I was a scribe, um, like the ER was cool, but the doctors I worked with seemed kind of jaded. Um, They had just switched to an EMR and they all just seemed annoyed with it and things going on like politically at that time. So I was not thinking about emergency medicine. Um, So anyway, I got through peds, didn't like it. Then I thought I would like um, OBGYN and I enjoyed like the women's health aspect and the procedural aspect, but as a whole, I just did not like OBGYN. So I'm at the end of my third year and that's when you have to start applying for away rotations um, because during your fourth year, you do away rotations and interview for residency. So I was kind of having a little... I don't know, quarter life crisis because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I took this quiz on the AAMC website (laughs) that tells you what your specialty should be. And it was like emergency medicine by far. (laughs) And so I kind of ran with that and um, applied to do an EM rotation at my med school. They don't have a residency, but they have a pretty busy ER. And then I applied for some OAs and ended up loving it. And now I'm here. So (laughs) I feel like a lot of people kind of go through the same, you know, process of trying to figure out what specialty you're going to go into. Uh, For us, when we train in a specific specialty, that's kind of what you're stuck in for the rest of your life, unless you want to go back to a different, you know, Mm -hmm. residency or do fellowship or, you know, practice, you know, something completely different. But usually you have to go through another residency. So this decision is a big deal. And so I kind of had the similar, like similar type of pathway. I thought I wanted to do peds, then I thought <laughs> I wanted to do OB, and then eventually landed on emergency medicine. So I did not take a quiz <laughs> for me to find out what uh, specialty I wanted to go into. But yeah, I think a lot of the um, attraction to emergency medicine is the procedures. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do do a lot of procedures, so that's definitely fair. Um So then uh, you go on these audition rotations in emergency medicine, and you're basically going to these residency programs, showing them what you can do as a Mm -hmm. medical student, which really isn't much. You've maybe never done anything. And you're trying to impress them so that you can get a letter of recommendation so that somebody will hire you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where did you uh, rotate, if you don't mind telling? Um, So the one I did at my medical school kind of hospital Mm -hmm. was at the medical center in Macon. And then, so that's not, um, that's the one that does not have an EM residency, but they are a teaching hospital. Um, And then the second place I rotated was UAB. And then the third place I rotated was UT Chattanooga. So those were really fun, all very different places. Um, 
it's kind of, it's difficult to be a new fourth year med student because number one, you're poor and you're having to pay to stay in these places for a month at a time in addition to whatever rent you're paying. Um, and then every hospital system's different. So you get like three weeks into one rotation, you start to feel comfortable and then all of a sudden it's time to go on to the next one. But I look back fondly on my away rotation experiences. I think they were fun. Yeah. I mean, that was the number one biggest complaint I had was the finance associated with yeah. it. I mean, you're living somewhere and paying rent wherever you your core hospital is, and then you're expected to travel to these other hospitals, find somewhere to live for a month, and you know pay for everything that you're there. Mm-hmm. So, and we're living on student loans or, right. you know, like if... If you're not, like, you're still spending double rent. Yeah. yeah. There is the occasional, like, institution that will cover it for you. Like, I think um, when I rotated in Tennessee, they provided an apartment for the month. And it was pretty nice. Yeah. So um, that was a stress relief for that month for sure. Wow. That's really nice. That's not very typical, though. All right. So then you get through all that and you're applying to residency um, Mm -hmm. and you do this whole application. Um, You get letters of recommendation, you submit it, and then it comes down to the point where you have to kind of decide where you want to go, but it doesn't really work that way. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to explain the match? Yes. (laughs) The elusive match. Please. So um, when you're applying for residency, you use this online application called ERAS, and you kind of create this generalized application form, and you send your app to places you would like to possibly go to residency at. Um, and just an aside, some places that you do away rotations at automatically give you an interview. Um, so just to put that out there, but, um, so you send your app to all these places you want to interview and then over the next few weeks to months after that, they will send you an invite to interview if they want you to. And, um, you do the interviews and at the end of interview season, you make what's called a rank list. And it's basically a list in order of where you'd like to go from most to least, And the programs themselves also have a rank list, and they rank their applicants um, in order of who they would like to go there. Um, And so the match is like this third-party software that tries to rank you as high on your list where you want to go, but you also have to kind of correspond to ranking highly on the program's list. And I've been told that it works in favor of the applicant. Um, And so... The software, whatever, does its algorithmic process, and then something called Match Day happens in March, and it's generally, I guess, at least pre-COVID, was a gathering of you and your whole medical school class, and you open these envelopes at the same time and find out where you're going for the next three to seven years, and it's not stressful at all. (laughs) (laughs) I think the most stressful part is you submit your rank list, well, putting together your rank list, figuring out where you want to go, but then you submit it and then it's a waiting game until match day. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you open up an email or you open up, you know, an envelope and that's where you're going. And it's a binding contract. You can't be like, nope, I don't want to go there and not go there. You have to. So. Yeah. And if there's also always a chance that you don't match and, um, 
I've, I have to brush up on the process here, but if you don't match, there's something called a soap where um, basically, so you, on match week, you find out on Monday, I believe, whether you actually matched. And not where, just if you did. And if you didn't, then I think you're, someone in your medical school knows and um, you kind of get put into this, I don't know, system where you try to get matched into places in the country that have open spots or didn't fill their program. And it's usually not slash not always in a specialty that you actually initially wanted to go into. Um, and then um, come Friday, you'll find out if you matched into something. So match is not a guarantee and it's very stressful. I feel like my most anxious time was the night before match day. Yeah, my <laughs> school didn't hold like a gathering. So a lot of people from my medical school decided that we were going to go to a different city we rented a large airbnb all of our my closest friends were there and so we kind of just partied all weekend it was st patrick's day weekend (laughs) yeah and so we all kind of hung out all weekend we were all anxious we're kind of going through it all together and then we opened up our emails and we just celebrated i mean it does suck for somebody who doesn't get what they want and like then you did and then you have to like (laughs) yeah it's awkward because you want to be excited but you also feel bad for them Mm so it's it's stressful, but yeah. So ultimately, you match to the program, and you match with a certain amount of other people in emergency medicine at that mm-hmm. same program. You don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> Actually, I did. You did? Yes. Okay. Um, the Two of the other guys in our class went to medical school with me. Okay. And one of them sitting in here right now. <laughs> our producer. Our producer. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. So then you get, you know, into residency, and you meet all these new trainees that you're going to be training with for the next three years mm-hmm. um tell me about you know your experience of getting to know the residents when you first came here oh, and it was then, so much fun yeah um it was like half a year pre-covid when we started a residency so um we had all of these social events we would go floating on the river we would go get drinks Um, it's like you have this immediate new family out of nowhere (laughs) and that was amazing. Um, and then we just got to experience the nuances of being an intern together. Um, and I feel like that really bonded us, but unfortunately a global pandemic hit and we had to stop hanging out as much, but we're trying to pick back up on that again before we graduate. So, yeah, for sure. So tell me about your first shift as a doctor oh my I mean gosh. you graduate med school you're handed a certificate and all of a sudden you're a doctor and you go to this hospital and they're like all right time to be a doctor go for it and you've literally never put in orders before <laughs> or written a full note on your own or done any of that so tell me about your first day I remember being so terrified in the days leading up to it just like anticipating what could possibly happen um I remember who I worked my first shift with and the chief complaint of my first patient I ever saw, but I don't remember really anything after that on the shift, but those are the two like biggest things to me. 
My first shift was with um, a female attending we had named Dr. Kuhn, and she is just like mama bear. Um, She's such a good physician, um, very confident in what she does. And so it was honestly perfect for me to have my first shift with her. But I remember my first patient was um, a woman who had, uh, I think it was like a gingival bleed on Coumadin. And I was like, Dr. Kuhn, I have no idea what to do with this. That was like before I even know what, knew what TXA was. And it's just crazy how far we've come in three years, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't think, I mean, on your first shift, you're not expected to know everything. Obviously, everyone's pretty helpful um you're not expected to see volume like we are now so overall I don't I don't remember it as a bad experience it was a pretty good first shift I remember my first shift was like the fifth day of residency everyone was having their first shifts and texting in our group message (laughs) and talking all about it and I was just sitting at home like anxious trying to read which I do not advise you're not going to learn anything (laughs) five days before your first shift And I'm reading about chief complaints and workups, and I'm panicking, and I honestly was terrified. My first shift was supposed to be with an attending that I've never met before, and then I walk into shift, and my program director, who's basically my boss, walks up to me and goes, I'm working with you today. And I look at him, and I go, no, you're not. (laughs) And he goes, yes, we're working together. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, so you get to have your first shift with your program director. Let's see how this goes. And I almost lost it I was already a nervous wreck and then having to work my first shift with my program director uh really made me nervous and of course one of my first patients was a rectal foreign body um and so that was a really fun experience to have a day one of residency with your program director so I'll never forget that that is certainly memorable especially with him (laughs) yeah definitely um, okay, well then, we, you know, we've made it thus far through residency. Uh, tell me about your plans for next year. Yeah, so next year I'm actually going to be doing a fellowship in palliative care at UAB. Awesome. So uh, for those of you who are listening, there are many fellowships that you can do after your training in you know, emergency medicine. Some of those fellowships include sports medicine, pediatric emergency medicine, toxicology, Uh, hospice and palliative care. There's also wilderness medicine, ultrasound, critical care, EMS, administration, research, medical education, and international emergency medicine. So you can choose to go into these uh, fellowships, but they are additional years on your training. Mm -hmm. So tell me what made you decide to go into a fellowship and what are your plans? So it's also kind of a long-winded answer, but Um, I was interested in palliative in medical school, actually. So um, I had a few family members who uh, needed hospice care while I was in medical school, and I saw what a beautiful thing that can be for not only the patient, but their family as well. Um, And so when I was interviewing for EM residency, um, I would get asked, like, would you ever consider a fellowship? And I would honestly answer, yeah, I think palliative would be pretty cool. Um, And then I started residency, and I was like, no way. I just want to be done and start making money. (laughs) Um, So I kind of stopped thinking about it for a while. Um, And then COVID happened. Um, It became clear that uh, whereas previously it seemed 
not super difficult to get a job in emergency medicine after residency, that the job market had changed a little bit. Um, So I was a little worried about that and still was planning to apply for a regular EM job. But one of my attendings who did not know about my previous interest in palliative care pulled me aside one day last summer and was like, hey, I think you need to consider a fellowship in palliative care. I think you'd be really good at it. And that got my wheels turning. Um, I've always been like a pretty deep feeler. I appreciate being able to have um, long conversations with patients um, and talk about what's meaningful to them. But we don't always get to do that in the ER. In fact, we rarely get to do that. Um, So I started thinking about like what palliative care could bring to my life. And um, I think it's really cool that you can provide a specific um, relief to someone, um, such as pain relief, anxiety relief, um, and just overall um, like a comprehensive care plan. Um, I ultimately want to do both EM and palliative care because there's aspects of palliative that provides certain things that EM doesn't provide and vice versa. So anyway, I applied sort of late um, because this came to my attention pretty late, but I'm really glad I did it. And I interviewed at a few places. It was all virtual. Like everything was a Zoom call, which was really weird. Um, And then I actually matched at my number one. So it was a good experience overall. (laughs) So you had to go through the match system again. Yes, it was the worst. Um, I never thought I would have to use ERAS again. Um, And it is so not user friendly. I just, I had forgotten about that aspect of it. Um, But yeah, you have to pay the fees and uh, send your apps to all the places and uh, do your interviews. And I mean, when we interviewed for residency, it was pre-COVID. So we did all of our interviews in person. So this is my first time doing these interviews online. It was weird, but I'm glad it's over. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thanks. Um, All right. To kind of end this podcast, um, I'd like you to kind of talk about a little bit about your medical training and the impact it's had on your family, your friends, your social life, your dating life, and you can even put in there um, anything that COVID has, you know, caused a hindrance to or, you know, affected. Okay. Um, All right. So just to preface, I am single. Um, I started residency single. Um, I have been pretty close with my immediate family. I have a brother. Um, But... So residency's been busy, but I feel like medical school is busy too. So I don't feel like my interactions with my immediate family have changed too, too much. Um, I feel like the EM schedule is more flexible. So there's some times where I can go home and see them randomly. Um, So in that regard, things haven't changed too much. Um, There certainly have been times in residency where I just felt overloaded and overwhelmed and Um, sometimes you just don't even feel like you have the emotional capacity to answer a text message. And so I'm sure with my uh, close friends, they've probably noticed time periods where I'm just not as talkative um, and that we don't talk as much or hang out as much, but they've been so understanding. Um, So honestly, it hasn't been bad. Um, I feel like I've maintained my relationships pretty well throughout residency, Dating is a different story. (laughs) Um, I feel like 
COVID kind of made that a weird thing to do. And also, um, it's kind of tough to date when you're working at like 10 p.m. on a Friday and on a Saturday as well, and then sleeping all day the next day. Um, so our schedule definitely does make that difficult, but it's not impossible. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate you coming on our podcast today. Um, and we hope to have you again in the future. Yeah, I love that. Ooh.